Update at noon with Sakina Kamwendo, midday to 1 p.m. We start with ESCOM and uh, ESCOM is implementing stage four rotational load shedding, which is expected to continue until 11 p.m. tonight. Now, this follows ESCOM implementing stage six load shedding last night after power supply to uh, the inclined conveyors feeding coal to the silos at Madupi power station, we were told, failed. And this resulted in a loss of a number of units uh, while flooding at both Creel Mine and the power station located in Mpumalanga led to no cold deliveries via that uh, the conveyor belt. And uh, we are now joined on the line by Director General for the Department of Public Enterprises, uh, Khatatso Tlakudi. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Sakina, and uh, thank you very much for having us on your show. Mr. Tlakudi, uh, let me start by reading a tweet that's just come through from one of our listeners, Noel Crowey, and it says, about 500 visitors were left stranded on top of Table Mountain uh, as Stage 6 uh, load shedding gripped South Africa last night. Now, this was due to technical difficulties to its generators. So let's stand up and do something because we can't lose tourists. And I'm just reading that because I'm sure you are aware of, you know, South Africans expressing their utter frustration at this point at the power situation. But my question to you is, when the load shedding uh, was first announced by ESCOM, ESCOM cited capacity constraints, and then it moved to wet coal. And now there are reports that there's difficulty with a conveyor belt. So, so take us in your confidence at this point and tell us as South Africa, what is really going on with the power utility? Um, your question is implying, Sakina, that there's something that we're not telling South Africans regarding the challenges that we're experiencing at our power stations. But we can assure you, is what has been commentated to date is exactly the, um, the problems that we are having, that we have problems of um, of uh, units that are getting lost due to the uh, to the rains that we have had um, uh, and flooding that has happened around the power stations. There are four power stations that we've mentioned, Camden, Tutuka, Letabo, and Kando, and also the technical problems that, that we are having at Midupi. Um, so um, and of course, you have mentioned the um, the impact of uh, clear fl- flooding. Um, th- that's exactly the problem. There's nothing um, more that that you are holding back from South Africans. Um, uh, of course, considering the inconvenience that uh, these outages are having on their on on our people's lives. Um, the least that we can do is be honest with them in terms of what is happening at these power stations. And that's how how we have been and that we will continue to, to to communicate with total honesty. So does that mean at this point we are dealing with all of those problems collectively or have we now moved from one to the next to the next? Well, we have to deal with all of them at, at once. Uh, um, uh, of course, we have uh, numerous teams that are working at each one of these um, uh, power stations. What we are seeking to do is restore as much capacity back onto our grid um, uh, as possible. Uh, and that's, um, that's what we need to do in order to ensure that this economy functions, that people are able to get back to normal routine in their lives. Because um, all of us know from our own household experiences what this loss of electricity has meant. Um, especially the children being at home during this time.
Right, let's break them down. Let's take them one at a time. Capacity constraints. Where are we with regard to that? The, the challenge we have, um, uh, Sakina, is that uh, we do not have enough generation capacity. Uh, with our system under normal circumstances, uh, or rather under normal operation, requires there's still another 2,000 of uh, 2,000 megawatts of uh, power that we require. The Department of Energy has been activated to look at um, at options uh, uh, to, to enable us to get that particular capacity. So until we have that 2,000 megawatts, uh, we are going to continue to have a very constrained system. Um, and um, yeah, so that's that, that's where we are. And I think that you may want to and we get our colleagues at DOE to come in and just give an update in terms of the progress they are making in that regard. As you know, as you know um, ESCOM is basically would be one of the capacity providers. And, of course, with our commitments um, uh, to producing cleaner energy going forward, the IPPs are going to be playing a much bigger role going, going forward and with coal impact back a bit, which is what uh, ESCOM capacity is built on. So what sort of capacity are you expecting from the IPPs? The 2,000 megawatts that is required, depending on, on the IRP, because uh, as you know, IRP anticipates coal-derived uh, power being reduced to around 60% from the 90% where we are currently. This would mean that the 2,000 megawatts would expect it to come mainly from the IPPs going forward, but that will depend on the on DOE um, coming out um, with their requirements into the market. At the timing of that, unfortunately, I'm not in a position to, to speak to that. Well, we had a look at that earlier, and they're talking about uh, February next year. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, what is ESCOM going to do about this capacity constraint? Well, the, what ESCOM should be doing is um, ensuring, and, and we understand the constraint they have, they have a relatively old um, uh, fleet of um, coal-fired power stations at about 8 years of age on average. But we expect them to, to run them um, as efficiently as, as possible. We expect the, the, the availability of, um, of the power system to go up at, at, to get closer to the mid 70 percent from the from the high 60 percent that they have currently. But what that means is that when the power when that unit is running, um, we, we want it to to be able to give us uh, a power basically 75 percent of the time at the least. Uh, uh, so that's that's the expectation from us. We expect them to anticipate the kind of challenges that we have had now and to include in their plans the fact that these extreme weather events that we are having are no longer occasional events. They are now the norm. Um, we have had floodings almost every year over the last couple of years. Now we need to include that in our planning in terms of protecting the power stations from the challenges that we have had now. So we expect management to be that proactive in addressing these and other challenges that have been mentioned. And and, and you see, um, the problem with what you're saying there, Mr. Tlakudi, is that you're saying going forward, they should be more vigilant and try to mitigate. Why mm. haven't they been mitigating? Because this is not the first time that ESCOM is telling mm. us about wet coal, for example. So again, it's a combination of um, of issues. As you know, we have been in the process of of filling management vacancies at the NTT, um, uh, culminating with the appointment of uh, Ms. Andre Deray as the uh, group CEO. So 
when you have don't have those people at the helm, which obviously vacancy as a result of the action that the board had to take against those that were uh, implicated uh, in state capture, you will end up with, with, with some of, of these challenges. And of course, we have spoken quite uh, openly about the, the challenges we have with the skills uh, in the business. That is also uh, being addressed. Um, and yeah, so we so we cannot just um, say that you know the last few years of total um, um, you know uh, dysfunctionality and uh, and looting at the business should be ignored. I mean we should factor it and the damage that it has caused to the system. So it will take time to build that up, and that's what has been happening. And you can see it across our state-owned companies that um, the damage is a work in progress. And uh, but we, of course we. We are expecting that that the businesses should should start turning a corner soon. Mm. So, 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 what are you actually saying, Mr. Takudi? Are you saying that ESCOM doesn't necessarily have the requisite power se- uh, skill set to ensure that some of these problems do not occur? Well, one of the uh, it, it, the symptoms or or the byproducts of state capture was uh, wrong people being appointed into wrong positions. That still needs to be addressed. Um, and expecting the, the the team at ESCOM to work with agency in that regard. We are expecting that people that um, that are appointed uh, to start serving the interests of the organization as well as the country. Okay, uh, let, let me just let me just interject there, please, Mr. Tlakuri. Are you mm-hmm. saying that you have wrong people in the wrong positions, and that is partly why we are facing the problems that we are from ESCOM? What, what I'm saying is that. Uh, we have made good progress in terms of appointment at, at senior level within the organization. Yeah, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm talking about yeah. at operational level because you just made a statement. Are you saying that we have the wrong people, people who are not fit for the positions that they occupy in certain operational aspects? Is that what you're saying? That's the, the work that we expect, the new team that is coming into place particular effort into in terms of ensuring that people do not only have the technical competences, but they really have the right attitudes in terms of addressing the challenges. Mm. But Mr. Takuri, you're talking about the future. I'm talking about right now, as we are talking about Mm. stage six and perhaps even stage Mm. eight load shedding. Are you saying that there are people who are in positions where they shoulder great responsibility and they are not fit for those Mm. positions? Is that what you're saying? That's um, an assessment that you expect the incoming team, Sakina, uh, to pay particular attention to. But basically because that, that is the case. These, uh, some of these um, challenges that we are experiencing now, um, even their manifestation, we need to be um, rather, um, you know, we need to scrutinize them rather, rather closely as well. Mm. You see, Mr. Tlakuri, and that is why I actually preface my question to you by saying, Take us into your confidence. Mm. And, 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 and you started off by saying that you are doing exactly that. But I'm asking you a very simple question, straightforward question, which requires a straightforward answer that, yes, we do have a problem with uh, people, wrong people uh, with the wrong skill set in the wrong position, or no, we actually have the right people in the right positions. And, and I'm not getting that answer from you, Mr. Tlakudi. Oh, um what, what I'm saying is that that process is continuing. Um, at, at senior levels, that work has been done. We want to have that reflecting at operational level. So I'm saying at that particular level, we need uh, that attention 
from the executive team uh, to be focused on to ensure that we have the right people at operational level who are able to anticipate these challenges and um, and basically ensure that we don't find ourselves in the position we find ourselves with um, surprises, literally. So still on the wet-cold situation, is this a problem at ESCO or is it a problem with the coal mining companies? Well, it's also a product of the coal procurement strategy. So, Sakina, as you know, the, um, historically, ESCOM has built power stations close to the coal source. And um, and the coal uh, and and these are what has been referred to as the coal plus mines that has been that have been built um, uh, in the past with capital provided by uh, ESCOM, um, and in return for well-priced coal going forward. Um, that strategy was abandoned. Now, when you end up having to transport in by truck coal uh, from um, uh, a, uh, you know from a dis- from uh, other mines from a distance away, it does bring up coal handling man- uh, management issues. Instead of having a simple conveyor belt between the mine, which is close by, and and uh, and the power station. So we need to address that um, as well. So that that's one of the reasons why with these rains, um, what coal has become a, a major issue at the power stations. Well, let me move on to another issue with regard to, um, you know, entities we are seeing being placed under uh, administration or business rescue. Um, many are calling on the department to either place uh, ESCOM on business rescue or under administration. Is that something that the department has been seized with at all? No, we have not. Second, um, uh, you place a business under uh, business rescue when it um, it starts to it's unable to meet its obligations or its business prospects going forward um, become diminished, which is what we had with ESCOM. Is no way in that at that level yet. So, 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 where is ESCOM exactly? Well, ESCOM needs to um, uh, to address vigorously its cost base. Um, it needs to be able to provide um, South Africans with reliable electricity. It needs to retain the customer base it has now, and that requires uh, the right level, uh, the right strategy, and the right team to implement them. And we believe that if that on the side of getting the right team in place, that that is. Um, that is, is taking shape, uh, especially the CEO starting um, uh, his um, his duties in, in January. It's been a long time, though, uh, because, Mr. Thakuri, you, you, you'll understand, you know, we've had the war room. You've had, you know, different uh, entities appointed, all coming together to try and resolve this ESCOM problem. So when we're still talking about things that are supposed to happen in the future, what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of assessing the teams that have already been put in place to try and turn ESCOM around? Yeah. Well, uh, the department is working very closely with the uh, executive and, um, and, the, and the board uh, leadership to address the problems that we are experiencing today. Uh, it would have um, obviously been uh, 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 better to have had the, the new CEO start a lot earlier than now. We didn't anticipate these problems, of course. Um, yeah, so that's um, that's what mm. we can do in the in the interim. Yeah. The problem you have is that people are saying 
the um, incoming CEO, like the problem you've just mentioned previously right on this show, may not have the requisite skill set for what ESCOM requires. So, 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 how do you then take South Africa into your confidence once again and try and inspire confidence in this nation that ESCOM actually knows what it's doing? Well, we believe that um, Mr. Dereda has the, the, the requisite skills to run the business and to lead it. He's a, he's a turnaround specialist. Um, he has shown in the, his previous uh, uh, businesses that he has run. He has a good knowledge of the energy industry. And we believe that he's well positioned to, to help us to turn around to this business. Well, we unfortunately have to leave it. They have so many more questions, but thank you so much for your time, uh, Director General in the Department of Public Enterprises, uh, Khatato Tlakudi, and, uh, you know, talking about what's going on at ESCOM at the moment. And, yeah, I know many of you have questions about capacity and and, and the skill sets that the various leaders at ESCOM bring to the table and how that's supposed to help us. But we have to leave it there because uh, we want to move forward on the story. The uh, Democratic Alliance leader John Stiernazen says that there's more to the issue of load shedding than what meets the eye and he joins us now from uh, Megawatt Park. Mr Stiernazen, thanks so much for your time. Welcome to Update at Noon. Thank you, Sakina. It's great to be with you and great to be with the listeners. I'm just sorry it's under these circumstances. So what's your reaction to these recent power cuts? Well, first of all, I, I think that Eskom and the government are not leveling with South Africans about what the real issue is here. You don't move from stage four to stage six overnight because of wet coal. I also don't buy the wet coal story. Uh, it's frankly not believable. Uh, we've been in this problem for 10 years. If you tell me in this place last 10 years, we're still grappling with a wet coal problem. Uh, I would say to you that there's something seriously wrong at Eskom. What we're dealing with here is a government that has clearly lost control of the state and entity and a country that's now at complete ransom at a state-led monopoly uh, that through rolling blackouts is killing jobs, killing the economy and killing growth. And we have a government that is completely out of touch with the problem. We've got a president who's sitting next to the now and we've got a minister who's in complete denial about what the situation is and what needs to be done to fix it. We put on the table a number of solutions today, which we believe would almost immediately resolve the problems, but only if government was serious about dealing with this issue once and for all. So what is the DA solution? Well, there's a number of things. First of all, that that Minister Mantashe could sign any one of the 17 uh, Section 34 applications that are sitting on his desk to allow procurement from IPPs by municipalities, allow mines to generate their own electricity and to feed into the grid. This would take a lot of pressure off. Then Eskom needs to be broken up into generation and supply uh, models, and we need to break down the monopoly, allow some private sector competition into the arena. Uh, And, of course, then the president needs to get back from Egypt uh, and deal with the crisis hands-on. You can't run a crisis like this from your iPad uh, on another side of the continent. It needs leadership here. The president during SONA took us through all of his plans for growth and, and economic growth and job creation. All of those are going to completely be wiped out uh, by, and by this rolling blackouts that are hitting South Africa and keeping businesses closed and leading to unemployment. Uh, it's not sustainable to carry on with the old way. So Minister Matashe could sign any one of those agreements and send a signal to the markets 
that it's a, a new game in town, and I think that we'd be able to move rather quickly uh, towards resolving this issue rather than us continuously being faced with these rolling blackouts. So even with that simple, why haven't we moved to these solutions? Because we're dealing with a government, and particularly a minister, Minister Mantashe, who is so ideologically blinded and believes that the trunking uh, fist of state through states and entities is the only model of delivery. Uh, he's living in an era where the Berlin Wall is still up, Leonard Brezhnev still in the Kremlin, and the Cold War still raging. The country's moved on. The world's moved on. What we need now is big ideas and innovation, not ideology getting in the way. Uh, the world over has shown that when you allow competition into an industry and you break up state monopolies, services improve, and customers are able to get cheaper products and cheaper pricing. Uh, at the moment, we're completely at ransom and beholden to this big failing state-owned entity which is on its knees and which this government insists on pouring good money into, despite the fact that it's not now able to deliver on its current base. You heard Mr. Kukude talk about hanging on to their current uh, uh, customer base. Well, you're switching the customer base off. How do you intend to generate revenue when you're not providing the product? It just shows the absolute farcical uh, nature of, uh, of the current model and why it just cannot work. We are into news time, but I just have a final question for you. How do we juxtapose um, what you have uh, posited as a solution with our de- uh, developmental um, uh, obligations as a state? How, how do we go about doing that? Well, so, Kenny, you can't say you're a developmental state when you can't even provide the most basic form of electricity. And, you know, you hear government ministers blathering on continuously about the fourth industrial revolution, when what this government, and through its terrible model of, of delivery of electricity is busy doing is de-industrializing South Africa and killing jobs. Uh, we can't advance our economy. We can't create jobs. We can't lift people out of poverty and into opportunity without a stable electricity supply. It's the only way you attract the low-level manufacturing jobs we need to get people into work and to attract an investment. Uh, you, know, you can't say the developmental state when you're killing all forms of development through poor delivery and uh, and rent-seeking and, and crony operations that benefit the insiders and don't uh, lift outsiders into opportunity. Well, thanks so much for your time. Democratic Alliance uh, leader John Stiernazen uh, speaking to us uh, from Megawatt Park, where the party is presenting what they believe is a solution to the problems facing ESCOM. I want to continue on uh, the ESCOM story. Now, ESCOM Chief Operations Officer Jan Oberholzer says that there's no need for the country to panic. Good morning. Um, so we are at Megawatt Park in a room called the IGCC. I'm told that it is the integrated generational um, room. Uh, but Mr. Jan Oberholzer, who is the COO of ESCOM, is with me here today. I know that a lot of people are quite um, worried and stressed, particularly because for the first time ever yesterday, uh, we saw you know load shedding going up to stage six, where they're shedding 6,000 um, uh, megawatts of power off the grid. And it had a lot of people very in a panicky mode. And in fact, People are already asking if um, we should be bracing for stage eight. Uh, but the situation really looking very, very tense um, at, across the country. I know businesses are suffering. Um, um, Harmony actually sent a message earlier on saying that as a mine they needed to stop production. Remember, they're one of the very uh, energy intensive users as a mine. Um, so they got. Um, uh, 
communication from ESCOM if they could um, reduce their, their, their power consumption in any way. Uh, but uh, as I said, I am at the IGCC Centre um, where um, we could see behind me um, the screens that will probably give us an idea. I wish I knew what all this of all of this meant, uh, Blaine, but I'm sure that Mr. Jan Oberholzer will tell us, first of all, the prognosis for today. Should we expect stage eight? And what is behind us? Mr. Oberholzer, thank you so much for making time to speak to us at the SABC. We are a panicked nation. Where do we stand right now? Uh, good morning. Uh, at this point in time, we're standing on uh, stage four. Um, we reduced uh, at 10 o'clock last night from uh, stage 6 and we can talk about that in more detail why we had stage 6 but currently we are on stage 4 and the outlook for today up until 11 o'clock tonight will be stage 4. Um, I don't believe that we need to be uh, in panic uh, and the reason being we have to reduce the demand of the country when it's required uh, because we need to protect the integrity of our electrical network at all times to avoid any, 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 any uh, problems, any difficulty on the system. So when we implement a stage like stage 4 as, as we speak now, that means we need to reduce the demand of the country at a specific stage by 4,000 megawatts okay. to make sure that we don't compromise the integrity of the electrical network. Mm -hmm. Your question, uh, do we, need, uh, do we uh, need to be concerned that we'll go to stage 8? Mm -hmm. At this point in time, we don't foresee it. But at the time, should, and we believe that uh, we will not get there, need to implement stage 8. It will mean that we need to reduce the demand of the country at that specific point by 8,000 megawatts to protect the integrity of the system. So in other words, to prevent a complete blackout? That's correct. That's correct. Let's talk about um, what a lot of our viewers have been complaining about. Um, you know, first top of their mind when they talk about when we witness the incessant rains outside um, and ESCOM telling us about coal that is wet, you wonder why it was not protected all along. Is it as simple as we say or we think it is? No, it's not. But let me take a little bit of time to tell you why we find ourselves where we are now. I believe the main cause is the uh, performance of the generation fleet, specifically the coal fire fleet that we have. The last 10 years we haven't done the maintenance that we're supposed to, and this is where we find ourselves here. I'd like to use this body of mine as an example. Okay. Any person needs to look after its body. So you need to go to the doctor, uh, you know, regularly, and um, they need to do what, uh, whatever the doctor says you need to, to do. But when you get as old as I am, or older as I am, that means more often you need to look at this body. And then you heard it from Eskom's uh, Chief Operations Officer Jan Oberholzer saying there's no need for the country to panic. He says Eskom has to reduce the demand of the country when it is required to do so because Eskom has to protect the integrity of the electrical network at all times in order to avoid bigger problems in the future. And uh, that re uh, report was by our um, a news reporter, economics reporter, Diabo Seto, speaking to him at the Eskom headquarters earlier today. Now, <clears throat> for more on this and, and, and uh, perhaps uh, just to get some analysis um, on the situation and what is currently going on, the South African Wind Energy Association has called for an immediate release of available wind power into the national grid. Now, Wind Energy Association CEO Ntomfutin Tuli says operational wind energy plants have excess capacity of about 500 megawatts, which is available immediately. So for more on this, uh, we are joined uh, by South African Wind Energy 
Energy Association CEO Ntomfutin Tuli to tell us more about it. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon, uh, this afternoon, Ms. Ntuli. Thanks, Sakina. Thanks for having me. So you're saying that you have, as the wind industry, um, excess power that you can release uh, into the grid. How so? <clears throat> yes. Uh, so what happens is when we contract and sign power purchase agreement, uh, we are kept a uh, called maximum export capacity uh, in terms of the power that we can feed into the grid. And you, you cannot export more. And that kept. So the industry is forced to curtail uh, some of that power that is additional. So what we are saying is if government can lift the maximum export capacity, we are able to release the power and not curtail it anymore because it is needed. We are going through a power crisis right now. It doesn't make sense for the industry to throw away available power. So is government aware of this uh, operational wind energy plant and that they have access capacity? Yes, uh, government is aware because we signed power purchase. I would say ESCOM is aware because we signed power purchase agreement as an industry with ESCOM in the government facilitated tender the the RIP. So I would I would think government is aware of that. And what can happen is I mean these are short term agreements that can be signed immediately during this crisis period and uh, for a short term period to just provide that additional power at a very discounted rate and estimating around 40 cents per kilowatt hour. 40 cents per kilowatt hour? For that additional power, because you don't have to install those plants already existing and operational wind farms. So, have you spoken to ESCOM at all? Uh, we haven't had an opportunity to speak to ESCOM as an industry and it's something that we would like to, to start engaging on. So at least from that 2,000 megawatts, you say you can supply 500. That's a quarter of what ESCOM is saying is needed right now. Yes, so there would be, there would be um, from the wind farms, and some of that capacity can also be from solar PV. Uh, if you combine all of that, you come up to that figure, and that power can be um, made available immediately. Okay, that's very interesting. Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Ntuli. And uh, it's a pity I'm speaking to you after, you know, speaking to the department. But I think more importantly, perhaps we need to put these questions to ESCOM directly as to why then, if there is capacity somewhere, you know, uh, as you would procure coal or uh, diesel um, on an emergency basis, why wouldn't you procure at 40 cents from the Wind Energy Association. As I say, there are just so many questions bouncing around. The mind seriously does boggle. But uh, that was uh, African Wind Energy Association CEO Tom Futin Tuli saying that they have right now 500 megawatts that they can sell to ESCOM at 40 cents um, right now. And they are able to release that excess energy that they have to the grid. Meanwhile, founder and chief executive of Pan-African Investment and Research, Dr. Iraj Abedian, says that the longer government focuses on rescuing ESCOM, the more the economy will weaken and more jobs will be lost and brand South Africa will suffer. So for more on this, we join on the line by Dr. Iraj Abedian. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Good afternoon, second to you and to the listeners. Uh, Dr. Abidian, you tweeted that with Eskom confirming stage six blackout from today, one thing is certain, and that is that uh, the South African economy is now condemned to recession. Please elaborate. 
Africa, the, as you recall, Sakina, the last quarter that South Africa reported that our GDP contracted. So we already have one quarter behind us with contraction. Now this quarter, uh, stage four, never mind the stage six. Stage four means that our production capacity in mining, in manufacturing, in any activity in the economy is going to be cut by a third. Uh, because uh, on average, four hours, we don't have production capacity. Uh, our offices are closed down, so to speak, operationally. Mines have to close down, factories, et cetera, et cetera, shopping centers. So that means a contraction of about 30% in the GDP, broadly speaking. Um, the cost, actually, the implications are much more than that. Therefore, we will end up this quarter with, recession, with another contraction in our GDP, on the back of the previous quarters, and therefore two consecutive contraction in GDP means recession. That's the definition of recession. Now, the irony here is that government is going across the world, you know, sending envoys out to tell the world that South Africa is open for business and that we want to grow this economy. But how are we supposed to do that if we cannot keep the lights on? Sakina, quite frankly, government is making a joke of itself, its commitment and its um, spinning that is doing. Uh, because the government, for example, issues an integrated resource uh, planning as well as an ESCOM report. They identify exactly what the problems are. The minute that the report is out, they go to sleep. They do nothing about it. Um, so it's not as if they don't know what's wrong. They don't know what needs to be done, but they have a total failure in doing what needs to be done, not because I say or you say, but what their own report says. Starting and then going around the globe talking about your investment destination, we are ready to invest in the meantime, we cannot keep the light on, we don't know what's going on, is really making a mockery of governance, and we need to deal with this issue. So what is the solution? As you say, they have these reports uh, in front of them. They know what the solutions are. The DA were telling us what their solution is earlier. What is the solution that government has in front of them right now? Very simple. Uh, I'm sorry if I come across as too <laughs> uh, opinionated, but this is based on what discussions that the government and the, and, the, and the experts are telling us. We need to, number one, separate South Africa's energy problem from ESCOM. They are not the same thing. ESCOM is captured by a, a, a whole uh, web of problems. And so the minute that we free the energy, we sell off cities, companies, go and produce. Your previous uh, interview that you had, there are solutions as we speak. There are capacity and capability to generate. But the government has stopped the cities from buying from anybody other than ESCOM. ESCOM has become the gatekeeper. Nobody can do anything without their permission. And, of course, those who have captured ESCOM, they like this. They want it to perpetuate. So the solution is very simple. The president tomorrow morning can free the market with one signature or three signatures, allow cities to, to, to explore, allow companies to explore, and the like of your previous uh, interview would say, here is 500 megawatts. Somebody else would come within two months, 200 megawatts. And the country will be freed from the hostage situation that ESCOM has created. Number two, ESCOM has to be dealt with. But they are not the same as South Africa. They have to be dealt with because the broken capacities need to be retired, the, the corrupt people and their the procurement processes have to be cleaned up. But that may take five, six years. South Africa cannot wait another five, six years after 11 years of knowing what's wrong and not doing something about it.
Dr. Abedian, you've also called on ESCOM to be uh, placed into voluntary business rescue. But this in light of um, the fact that we have an unbundling process that we will told uh, will unfold at ESCOM. So how do those two come together? The, the way they to come, in, remember ESCOM, as I just mentioned, is problem number two. And you can deal with the problem of ESCOM either politically or professionally. At the moment, the restructuring, the way government talks about and doesn't do anything about it, and this is an important thing, a, a rescue practitioner will do something about it. It's not that government doesn't know what ESCOM is doing, but those who have a diesel contract and those who have a rubbish coal contract are not going to allow government politically to do it. And government wants to do a balancing act. One day we'll turn left, tomorrow we'll turn right. Six years later, nothing will happen. A business practitioner by law will deal with these issues and politicians will get out of the way. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, founder and chief executive of Pan-African Investment um, and Research. That's Dr. Iraj Abedian.